Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Jewish Divorce Project. I'm your host, Noam Rauscher. And I'm your host, Liron Tal. Join us as we kvetch and kvel about Judaism and divorce. From our perspective as two Jewish professionals and two divorce coaches. And two Jewish parents with lots of experience and plenty of opinions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Jewish Divorce Project. Happy Hanukkah! Happy Hanukkah! I'll just say, I certainly hope that that came across clearly and loudly enough so that you didn't have to turn your volume all the way up to hear me say, Happy Hanukkah! <laughs> to everyone in our community. Well, I didn't have to say it because I'm showing it with I my know. Uh, sweater today. I feel like a real tool for not having worn a sweater, knowing that we were now visual these days, and you came clearly prepared. Kudos to you, my friend. I have so many. I've worked at temples so, all these years. I have so many different Hanukkah How many Hanukkah shirts sweaters I have, do you have? I have, between sweaters and shirts, I probably have enough to wear a different one every night. Mm. That's impressive. <laughs> so Hanukkah pajamas even? Uh, Hanukkah pajamas, yep. Gotta get me some of those with the little <laughs> butt flap in the back. Is that what you want to get? You got to have a place to keep the guilt, right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I just came up with that. Clearly, I'm not you know, following my own rules and boundaries. Did you have a good weekend? I did. I had, um, I had my family over for the first night of Hanukkah on Thursday, which was really nice. Um, and then my kids went to their dads, and this was a little weird not having – this was like the weekend, right? Three best nights of Hanukkah. I didn't have them. Oh, my gosh. It was How was hard. that for you? Um, Friday night was rough for me. I did get invited to something with family and I just didn't feel like going without the kids. Really? Yeah. Because it was like a family type of affair. Yeah. And all the kids. And I just was like, I'm going to, yeah, it's that mix of like, this is also my weekend and my time to myself. So didn't go. Um, last night, my really good friend invited us. Our kids are best. I did go to that and, um, it was sweet to be there, but it makes me miss the kids when I don't have them with me. That's something you, I feel like in our conversations on this podcast and off sometimes that's something that's a bit of a reoccurring theme for you that like you want to get away from the kids but you also feel bad about it i have a hard time being at it's like when i don't have my kids i want to do things that don't involve kids right. i want to just do adult grown-up things if i go if and I, but then i feel bad like my friends are like you can come just because you don't have the kids we want to see you right. and then once i'm there i'm like oh the kids would have so much fun and it just ends up making me feel like missing them. The nice part about going without kids to something is that once it gets loud and annoying, I'm like, bye, I'm going to go now. It's, a really tough <laughs> it's easier to leave. It's a really tough feeling. Yeah. Especially when, you know, you don't want to go something to something without your kids because you feel awkward about it. You're like, if I, I can't be the only adult here without kids when people expect you to have kids there. Yeah. But on the other hand, I have, I always want my friends to come without their kids. I'm always like, why wouldn't you, you know, so. So funny how it works when you actually turn it on yourself. Yeah. It's a very difficult part, but so like you at least got time with kids. Yeah, and then they're back today, so we'll have them the rest of the week, and yeah, it's all good. You know, though, that there's nothing wrong with, and I don't want to harp on this, but there's nothing wrong with having your own Hanukkah, right? Yeah, like, well, no, and I did end up having, I lit the candles by myself, and it was special, and it right. was, you know, yeah. Good. I did. Good. I'm happy Still for you. lit the candles by myself. I'm happy for you. I haven't had any time alone. I've had the kids this whole time, which is wonderful and obviously also has its drawbacks. I've lost it a couple of times and buried my face in a pillow and <laughs> I had an ugly moment or two, uh, but did the repair necessary and soldiered on. Um, uh, it's tough, uh, you know, it, having them the entire time and not having a break, actually. Yeah, I go two weeks straight. That's why definitely when it is, I mean, because it was Hanukkah, it was a little different, but I mean, I was happy to know at least they weren't just sitting at home. He had plans every single night with them, with family, and so happy they had that. Right. But I'll get a break. They're, you know, yeah. go back to their mom and everything will be okay and it'll be fine and we'll get a refresher and we'll all fall in love each with each other again, so it'll be nice. We spent the weekend um, suit shopping for the bar mitzvah. Mm. And let me tell you how much of a sucky experience it kind of was. Why is that? Uh, it, we had to go to three different places because, you know, I put the call out on Facebook and, you know, some people responded to great suggestions, checked out a Macy's, checked out an H&M, had to go to two different H&Ms because one of them didn't carry kids suits, um, had to like go on this wild goose chase to an extent. Uh, and not only just like thinking about cost, like how much it costs to actually get one of these if you wanted to say go to Macy's, right? It's going to be twice as expensive over at H&M and the quality is obviously going to be different. And you know that, 
mm-hmm. going into it. And to an extent, the payoff is also, as you know, that the kid's going to grow out, grow out of it. So like if it's a financial investment, it's not that great. Um, and then there's like the other experience of also, you know, like having kids whose bodies aren't so typical, right? Um, and needing to find suits and clothing that really fit them and complement their bodies and make them look good and give them the confidence that they are entitled to. Um, and it's a, it's a really difficult experience, you know. Um, Judah's got a body like me. And um, he's learning to adjust to that and how to love it and master it as best as possible. And one of the things he noticed was that all the models were really skinny. Now you go into a suit store and they're all really kind of like tailored athletically as well with big chests and small waists. And that's all he's seeing. And in the process of putting on suits and thinking like, oh, does this size fit? Oh, no, it doesn't. It's too small. I need something bigger, something like that. Um, adds up after a while mm-hmm. right? and uh, it gives you an impression of yourself and I felt for the kid because I felt pretty similar to that as a kid growing up and wanting to find something that really fit for me so it's weird like doing it as a parent in general um, it, it, weird in like the good way you're supposed to be doing these things right I cherish doing these things but it is also difficult for the cost for like how to actually get it done and then also like wanting your kid to come out whole in the end yeah right you know i got one who's like reluctant to be in a suit at all and yet it was really easy to fit him right i got another one who wants to look good in a suit and it's a little bit more difficult to do it um so but i'm confident that like we made a good decision we're on our way and we got something uh and so it's like just getting realer and realer and i don't think i can take it like this is i i i drew an outline for my speech crazy yeah but you know what it's it's one day it's important but it will no matter what ends up happening it's going to be amazing you know it will be because it's a special day you know it's so refreshing and interesting to hear you talk because you hear so much about you know girls and the body image and you don't hear about it as with boys as much my son has the experience of being like very thin tall and thin and he feels like everything you know he's got his own struggles there but it's not an yeah. easy time being Jewish at all for a lot of different reasons. Um, yeah. Uh, and I also want to say that I thought, switching topics just slightly, but, you know, if we're going to talk about like Hanukkah and being a resourceful, you know, thing for parents and communities during this time, there was this really wonderful thing I saw on Instagram, and I follow Eve Rodsky, uh, who's the author of Fair Play, and did this amazing research about, you know, the division of household labor and emotional labor uh, and so she had this uh, opportunity on on Instagram. She posted a meme where it was about fair play with Hanukkah and the labor and, you know, what it takes to actually uh, put Hanukkah together from conception to, you know, execution. Uh, and she has the cards set up there, uh, conception, planning and execution. It's fantastic. Um, and she says to remember that um, the Festival of Light is made possible by a lengthy list of labor that's too often hidden in the shadows swipe for an overview of what the full conception planning and execution of Hanukkah might look like. And for a reminder that from the candle buying to the latke making, no one person should be doing it all. Right. And I'm sure you know what that's like. You've been putting on a lot of Hanukkah stuff at your house. You've been doing it all. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So it's, it's important to remember those things, especially if you're in a married couple, right? And how you divide that household labor so that everyone feels seen and cared for. I would say also in divorce to make sure that like the kids are probably getting the sense that like, you know, things are fairly divided and that also that you do manage it in that way so that it's not fully handled by one person, Mm -hmm. right? Because that could breed resentment and that's not the thing you want between divorced people, right? That's the last thing that you want. So think carefully about all those elements. Um, and that uh, nothing should go overlooked in that way. Oh. Um, so with that, I think it's probably a good time to take us out to commercial. Sure. Matzah ball is the nation's number one holiday party and has been for over 37 years. They throw holiday parties on Christmas Eve for Jewish singles in cities all over the country in New York, Los Angeles, Miami, Boca Raton, Boston, and Washington, D.C. For information on tickets... Check them out at matzahball.org. 
And we're back. We are. We're back. So um, I'm really excited about our guest. I'd oh love my. to introduce our guest, Alexis Langer. Um, uh, this is a very important piece in the divorce uh, process that I knew nothing about. Um, so this will be really nice to share with our with our listeners. Um, Alexis is an estate planning attorney and owner of the law offices of Alexis M. Langer in Los Angeles. Uh, she focuses on creating plans that actually work to keep families out of court and conflict when the unthinkable happens. She supports individuals, families, and business owners through her comprehensive and heart-centered approach to help protect what is most important to them. When she's not uh, guiding her clients, uh, she enjoys her time with her family, and she's a proud mom of her five-year-old daughter, Mira. So thanks for being here, Alexis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you. It's always wonderful when we have people actually in the studio. Love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah, it's really great to be here. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into estate planning, and what is estate planning? I think that's a really great way place to start. Yeah. Um, estate planning is a unique area of law um, that involves, uh, you know, balancing family dynamics. We're looking at properties, uh, whether that's investment, real property, whatever, you know, you have that could be contained in your estate. Okay. AKA your stuff, right? Your money, your personal property, whatever is important to a business, for instance. And we make plans for what happens to your assets, your things, your money, your property, uh, for when you die or become incapacitated. And we look at, you know, your assets and your values and what you have and kind of balance that against the family dynamics also. Because every family situation is unique and different. And we want to make sure that, you know, the best planning is uh, thought through based on their unique needs around their family and what's going on within their family. But also with respect to, you know, the assets and where they want that to go, how they want it to go, um, in what way, with a certain amount of control, however much they would like. Um, we can sometimes look at tax issues, uh, depending on the value of the estate. Um, and so that's what we're looking at. You know, off the top of your head, you've probably heard of, you know, revocable living trusts, some like really fancy mm -hmm. documents, a will. Um, yeah. Uh, advanced healthcare directives, powers of attorney. These are kind of legal um, vehicles to accomplish estate planning. Estate planning really is, you know, if you're working with an attorney or someone that cares about it, um, it should be a comprehensive way of looking at it. It's not just a one-size-fits-all type of approach. It's not, um, um, oh, if I have a, this one document, everything's going to work properly. You have to look at a lot of things to make sure that it will work the way that you want it to work when you become incapacitated or die. And I will circle back to the first question you had, which is why I got into this, which I forgot to answer. Um, and I actually didn't plan to go into estate planning, but I was uh, I was practicing law, in, um, you know, ever since I became licensed to practice law in California. And I went to work with my dad, who was a really um, successful, you know, highly regarded uh, attorney in uh, Los Angeles, or he, he worked in Long Beach. And um, after uh, so I worked with him and we did personal injury. There was a, a very successful law practice. Um, there was um, workers' compensation. There was employment law, a number of other areas of law. Um, and he was, you know, he practiced for many years. And so I worked with him and that was wonderful. And this was litigation. And then in 2017, um, at the very end of December, actually his death anniversary is coming up. Um, he died very suddenly and tragically, as Lero knows. And that's really what got me started, unfortunately. I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, in this field is um, getting that firsthand experience and that eye-opening uh, experience of what happens to a family, what happens to an estate, right, mm -hmm. to whatever you have um, that is worth protecting. Um, and uh, with inadequate planning, unfortunately, it was inadequate, um, given some of his circumstances. 
So we had to go through a court process, which was called probate, which you've also probably heard of, which is particularly unfriendly in California. We had to deal with um, um, also a business dispute as a result of his untimely death. Let me, so let me ask so, Alexis. It sounds that's like that's how I got like, into it. Gotcha. Okay. So it sounds like there's like a material element to this, right? Which are the things, and that there's also like a human element to it as well, familial even, which also has a tendency to get ugly if not really handled or anticipated in some way. Yeah, I would definitely say. I, I like that you're sort of looking at it that way because I feel that people often don't consider. <laughs> The familial or the intangible or the the emotional, the family dynamics right. at play, which is what makes it so hard sometimes for families to, to discuss what are we going to do with the house or with, you know, whatever mom and dad have after mom or dad or both of them die. It's a it, especially when there's potentially divorce involved or potentially, you know, um, different issues. Um, maybe one kid has different issues than the other. Um, it's so specific. It well, you know, you're dealing with a time of grief, and it's always hard to take care of those things. And it's not so different in divorce, in the sense that you're not prepared for it. And I mean, I have clients that I'm working with in the coaching that it's like the biggest thing is like, what do we do with the house? We want it to go to the kids, and it's like if they had that already discussed yeah. and planned out ahead of time, right? It may have made things easier. I'm curious, like. This brings up an interesting topic. It's not necessarily estate planning because I think it's more about, I guess, children. But like, you know, if, God forbid, one of the parents passes away, you know, and the kids are, are is that part of estate planning? Is, or is that more of like life insurance? Like what happens to the kids or the custody or like who, you know, a guardian, like who's the guardian? Is that part of estate planning? Yeah, that definitely is. Okay. Um, I didn't, not just things. Right. I didn't mention that in my kind of general um, explanation, but planning for the children is a huge part of it, not just in terms of the inheritance that they yeah. receive one day. That's obviously one of the things that we discuss, but also um, in my practice, I call it kids protection planning, which is um, for that. coming up with a more, you know, comprehensive plan around long-term guardians. If, um, you know, both parents, unfortunately, were killed or, you know, passed away for some reason. Who was going to raise the children, right? Um, so that there's no uh, court or conflict uh, or surrounding that. that. Right. But also, importantly, and I won't dwell on it, but is um, nominating a short-term guardian in the event of an emergency. So that's oftentimes forgotten or not looked at in traditional type of estate planning. But we want to make sure that not just in the long term that your kids have someone there to to raise them, which is obviously super important, but also in the short term, if kids are with a babysitter one night, mom and dad are out on a date night or out to somewhere, you know, and they're, they're home with the babysitter and, you know, they're not reachable. Maybe they got in a car accident. Something has happened. Right. So, you know, we want to make sure that the police or a stranger or CPS is not the person or the entity that's going to come to take care of this child, even in the short term. We want to make sure it's going to be a trusted friend, a neighbor, someone that parents have already pre-selected and have authorized to take care of their child. So that's called a, a temporary guardian. It's really fun. I mean, like you, you, what you speak of is exactly what I had to do, right? You know, and it, 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 you know, on top of like all the other things, signing the paperwork and then moving into a new home and then all the other stuff, right? You're just kind of exhausted from all of it. You just don't think about a lot of these details, but they're really crucial until my father reminded me. He's like, you got to update your power of attorney. You got to update your life insurance and who the recipients are of that, right? You got to update who your guardianship is of the kids, right? Lest something bad happen to you or whatever. I mean, it was just kind of all this um, one thing after another that I'd even think of that actually makes me feel much more secure now, right? And enables me to go flying off to places and do my job like I have to do because all these things are taken care of. So it's actually a great relief. Yeah, that's what I'm told by by most people. Well, there's also if if um the fear of if something happened to you and they automatically go with the other partner who is not is abusive or not right. capable right. or or, you know, neglect or whatever that, you know, you'd want to know. So, exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, it's a lot of information. It can be heavy. <laughs> 
Well, it can be very heavy, and then you think about like how contentious it is in the context of uh, you know, uh, 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 what's the word? You know, you have broken families for divorce. What do you have? Whole families. I hate that idea. Um, my point is to say, um, you know, without divorce in the picture, this can be a difficult situation without the type of advanced planning, right? Which I imagine is where it gets most contentious, right? Even within a family where there's not divorce, right? People can still get possessive over things, and there can still be strife. Mm -hmm. um, amongst family members and so you know someone will pass away and there might be something really valuable that they had and everyone claims ancestry to it right and wants it and says it's theirs but who decides and that's when everything gets acrimonious yeah without a plan in place particularly around personal property like you mentioned that's one of those areas that can lead to a lot of conflict because there's sentimental values attached to that so that's one of those things where if that could be worked out previously um, where it's laid out in a trust or in a somewhere in the estate plan um, where mom wanted the jewelry to go to or dad wanted, you know, his watches to go to, whatever it is, you know, um, that, that definitely uh, makes for an easier distribution for everybody, ultimately. What, what would you say, can you explain... Um... The difference between a prenuptial agreement and an estate plan and is a is that something that you handle as well so i i will explain it that they are um easily conflatable <laughs> but they're very different so um the estate plan really just governs what happens right to the property upon your death or incapacity but you want to in so figuring that out consider the family dynamics and that's really important and also the values of everything and that's where an attorney can really counsel and assist on that part um but we're looking at you know really planning for death and incapacity on when we're when we're looking at estate planning or and you know probably avoidance of court processes which is also a reason why you do foundational estate planning like getting your trust and will in place you know to ideally avoid probate conservatorship all these things that we want to try to avoid um, possible. Um, the prenuptial agreement is usually contemplated by a couple, you know, to, uh, if they're in the contemplation of marriage or they're about to get married, but there's a concern about, well, if we divorce or if I have, you know, if one of them or both of them have their own separate property, um, it is a document or an agreement that governs what happens to their assets upon divorce specifically, right? So, so that's all worked out usually by a family law attorney. They each retain their own to represent their own interests. Um, and so it's clear that, okay, yeah, we're getting married, but this has already worked out that, you know, this one property is always going to be mine or, um, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, that's good, right? That makes things really clean, doesn't it? Yeah, that definitely helps. Um, I have, unfortunately... It, you know, people come to me and this is where it gets a little tricky is that when there's a couple that's interested in doing joint estate planning together, like they are married and they want to, maybe they own a home together or they're trying to set up a joint estate plan. Maybe they have children together already. And what I'm hearing in my initial conversation with usually one person reaches out first, right? One of the, one of the members of the, of the marriage, of the couple. You know, I'm sensing concern around divorce. They're not using the word divorce, but it's it's what the way that they're they, talking like about. They decide to what come happens to you. if you know, um, essentially asking divorce the questions. Idea if the what marriage if get, ends, if the marriage ends, will I get this property back? Sure. Um, you know, how do I protect against that? Or um, you know. I my mom my yeah. mom and dad. This is a hypothetical, but sort of actually an example um, that came up in my practice. Um, you know, mom and dad have they they essentially funded you know the down payment of the home, and I'm remodeling. Like it's coming from my money is the the, the remodeling repairs. You know, but he's agreeable to you know I, I want to make sure that this is mine, and he's saying he's agreeable to you know, transferring it back to me, but they took title as husband and wife, you know, as community property, right or survivorship, whatever, you know, the language was in the deed. Like, well, 
you know, if you were really concerned about keeping that your separate property or making sure that at least whatever you put into that is going to come back as yours, I wish that you had considered a prenuptial agreement because now you're married and now you've taken title together. Now that now what that means is both of you have rights to this. You know, I, I know that maybe in a, in a court it'll get shaked out where potentially the one that paid more, <laughs> you know, could recoup that. But I don't know. You know, that's for the family law court to 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 really work out. So it's an unfortunate situation when couples kind of are backtracking <laughs> after the fact. And they're like, well, if we get divorced, what happens? I'm like, well, then then you got to, you know, I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out in a divorce proceeding. So that's an example, though, yeah. of like how you could actually benefit from your ex's assets in some way, right? Potentially, yeah. I mean, I guess that is one way of looking at it. I would say some of the more um, that that what that I guess is meant to illustrate is uh, is just if you're can, you know, if there is if you're bringing in your own property into a marriage and there's at all an interest in keeping it yours, you know, upon a divorce, then, you know, maybe look into uh, a prenuptial agreement. I'm not you know, yeah. advocating yes or no for that. It's a totally personal decision for the couple. But the other question that you asked is, I mean, I can answer that if you want me to, or if you wanted to say something. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I was kind of curious. I had that on my mind yeah. if my ex could benefit from my estate in any way in divorce. And it sounds like by transmutation of the character of the actual estate, that it is possible. It is possible in transmutation. I mean, good, good word. That's when Jesus becomes the wafer. <laughs> No, that's transubstantiation. Like transmutation that's, can mean so many things. Sorry. Transmutation, yeah. I don't want to get too bogged down in transmutation. Transmutation is the Ninja Turtle stuff. <laughs> I, I mean, it's yeah. It's a fancy word. It's a terrible word. I, it's, I wish it was some other kind of word. But uh, yeah, it's changing the character of the property. So if you're, if you have a separate property pre-marriage and then, you know, let's say you have a house and then you get married and then you put your spouse on the title or on the deed. It's fair to believe that that could be a transmutation of the character of the property. Knew it. But it's not certain. It requires a lot of analysis and review of the deed, of the trust, of everything. It's a very fact-specific thing. So if you're at all worried about that or, you know, have concerns about that, just... So, like, the feelings you have for your ex's car don't <laughs> count in that? Like, whenever I gave up a car, like, I was turning in an old car, and be like, oh, this is so sad. Or like, leaving an old apartment, this is so sad. But, like, those don't count, the feelings I have for it. <laughs> no. Like, I really love that car, right. man. I, I think one of the biggest things I'm thinking of takeaways, and, I, you know, probably most of the people who are listening to this podcast are divorced or going through divorce, but not necessarily. <laughs> oh, no, no. I think that... You know, I think about in our situation, we got married and obviously we didn't, divorce didn't even, wasn't a thought of right. something that was going to happen. And, you know, he, he, I've talked in previous episodes about the house and my, my one area that I wish I was more educated on. But, um, you know, had we talked ahead of time of like, what would happen to this house? And I, I assumed it was our home. We worked on it together, you know, even though he bought it. Mm put the money down before we got married. It's like, I was shocked at how he was convinced this was his house mm -hmm. after us living in it together for, for 10 years and me making it a home. And I was emotionally attached to the house, felt like it was ours, but he was like, no, bottom line, I bought this house. Mm. Had we had that conversation and did some estate, estate planning before, <laughs> oops, I'm just, before the, the um, <laughs> Sorry, did I mess that up? Before the um, before we, you know, in the beginning of the marriage, but you almost don't want to like talk about yeah. what happened. It's it's also like people are afraid yeah. to talk about. I would yeah. do a will. Right. It's like oh, people are afraid to talk about death, and it's the same thing with divorce. It's like if you're in a new happily married, happily married <laughs> marriage, um, are you going to bring up divorce? Right. If you bring up divorce, your spouse might think, wait a minute, do you think we're going to get to, it's so well, and that idea uncomfortable. Prenuptial agreements too are always, they're yeah. popularized by whoever the, you know, industrial marital complex, whatever you want to call it, right? The idea of prenuptial agreements is always seen as, 
you know, the antithesis to the love conquers all scenario. Yeah, but I also look at it, the prenup is like, that's not for everyone. That's not for the common. Like, it's that's for the for really have rich a lot people of money. who have reason to say, I'm not going to lose this in yeah, marriage. Yeah, I was like, I would never right. in our situation think right. we needed a prenup. Yeah, I don't have that, that much wealth to begin with, worry about losing it. You can't take half of nothing, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. But the kids are the most price, you know, right. the most important thing we have. But, but the that. house, but when one person owns a house, that is a conversation to have. Had we had a plan, I wouldn't have been so emotionally hurt right. and and shocked yeah. at his re sure. the reaction yeah. to the house. Yeah. And he would, you know, he was shocked that I was even assuming that I was going to get out of the house. So just that. So did he keep the home? Yeah. Well, we had already sold the home, okay. but my name wasn't on it or anything. So it was oh. more about the money from the sale. That was the situation. And. You know, I, I you had a community property interest in the home. I did, and I wasn't advised properly by my lawyer. It was more like you you could fight for it, but it's really his, and which was wrong in the in the guidance I received. That's the other thing too is like, you know, you're counting on your lawyer that they're going to tell you all the everything is yeah, you know. And I just I just was so focused on the kids. That's all I cared about. Yeah. Like. Now having all that money in the bank would be very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. You know, but I mean, again, I don't know the specifics exactly of what you know yeah, what yeah. happened, but um, yeah, I got screwed. That's <laughs> what happened. Let's <laughs> be specific. Yeah, I got screwed. <laughs> no, but again, it's like that. Con having that conversation, I think, is so important. You don't have to be on the rocks or getting a divorce because then your decisions that you're making once you're actually going through the divorce are fueled sometimes by anger. Mm -hmm. And by jealousy and by all these other feelings that you're not really making wise decisions together. And, the, and those are also like, yes, there is uh, emotional baggage to those things at times. But to an extent, I like categorizing them primarily since they are material things and things that you purchase, right? Didn't necessarily make, right? Um, which would probably be a whole other type of, you know, emotional investment. But the point is to say that like, that's the business end of your life, right? And it's the business end of your marriage. Keep that out of everything else for the relationship's sake. So get it all squared away, right? Have a plan, as I say, right? Or, or, or as Alexis is saying, have a plan for all that stuff, right? As much as you can. And if a prenuptial agreement brings you that type of grace as well to say like, well, at least I'm not thinking about it. And it's not going to make me resentful, you know, two, three, four, whatever, however long it is down the, down the road, the, the hardest part for, say, do for us when Get we were the talking squared away so you can focus yeah. on the relationship. We were talking about division of assets. It's like everything we had almost that was a value we got as like wedding gifts. Right. That's a, that's a hard one too. No, not that. Like I like my china set, you know, and he didn't care about that stuff. But if he did, that's that's interesting because it's like also there is emotion attached to it. It's not just stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I got the bread maker. I don't make any bread. <laughs> Make any bread. I don't want it. You should try that as a hobby. I'm gonna keep it though. I have to turn after the bar mitzvah. Right, yeah, it can fit into your suits. <laughs> That's right. That'll be the new hobby. Imagine though. I mean, this is a really kind of dark thought, but imagine it's the darker forbid, the better. God forbid if you know you had passed away during the proceeding, right? That's one of the points I was gonna think about, and you mentioned it earlier. You know, is updating even in the divorce process, updating the healthcare directive and the power of attorney, so that the agent, because if you passed away in a divorce, your agent can then you know carry out the divorce on your behalf, who is your you know nominated in your power of attorney. That could happen, and then you know, what if your ex or soon to be ex spouse is the agent for your healthcare directive, for your power of attorney, and they are now authorized to make all those decisions if you passed away or became incapacitated, like making yeah, you know, what your, if, your healthcare decisions. What or if they're very mad at you because you cheated on them and now they have to decide your, you know, like. Yeah. So that's yeah. a weird, that's a weird, you know, thought, but that's, you know, within the, the divorce itself that that could be proper to, to consider um, is if you have any of those type of legal documents in place to think who's you know, my agent for these <laughs> types of things, because they're not really bearing on your asset information. This contemplates if you ever became incapacitated. So it's, it's you know, ethical to, to make those changes. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you are regularly dealing with families with multiple children. 
mm-hmm. one of four, for an example. And imagine that when you speak with the family members, at some point, maybe all the children come to you either together or individually, but I imagine if they come to you individually, that at some point during their conversation, they probably allude to in some way, if not say it outright, how much they thought they are the favorite child of that parent. And I'm curious to know, you know, during those circumstances, what do you say? Um, I don't really think that's happened, to be honest. No, no. Favorite child. Is that like a trump card? Like, can someone come come to be like, I'm the oldest brother? Well, the planning work that I do is with the people setting up the estate plan. So if it's mom and dad. If it's mom and dad. Birth order is how I Look, I just want to say that I'm aware of that. I feel like that's the most basic element of it. Like, you wouldn't set up estate planning with the potential recipient because that would just be ridiculous. They'd be like, everything, all the good stuff comes to me. It can, it can be done. It depends on what the people, you know, the people setting up the plan want, if they want that child there. If they have multiple kids and they are allowing one of the multiple kids to be present, that is a red flag for me because I get worried that that could lead to a claim of undue influence. That's what for I'm the, talking about. This is what I'm talking of, about. Claim of undue influence for the Zero other children, representation right? Zero representation or total representation for the children. Yeah, I mean, my my default is ideally I don't want any kids in the meeting sure. because it's really not really appropriate for them to hear about this unless the parents who are doing the work want that their children there. Can you tell that to my children because they're always asking me about the stuff they get when I die? <laughs> like it's like when I wake up in the morning. Wow, it's not even a good morning. It's like, can I have this when you die? <laughs> and it's my toenail clippers. Well, that's. But they think they're cool. Like it's a spy tool for like torturing people funny it is funny actually that's what i'm saying like can you please talk to my children about i'll that? talk to them about that <laughs> where, you where? Your clippers? It, amongst <laughs> other things like i have drawers okay and i have tchotchkes and they, they their little hands be like fine with... tchotchkes go to you exactly you have that box of tchotchkes you probably have the other box of tchotchkes <laughs> Silly. that's all i got for you tchotchkes what, uh, <laughs> write it out. This one goes to you. This one goes to you. <laughs> How does it work with estate planners? Is it like, uh, I know in family law, when you're going through divorce, usually you're on a retainer. Like, how does that process work for you when you work with someone? Is it, because um, it's not like an ongoing, not meeting with them regularly, right? right. It's like kind of a. So um, the way that I do things, I do flat fee work usually. So um, I just am up right I discuss the fee of how much it'll be to do if estate planning is really the the one um, job that we're working on, then it'll be a one-time fee. So there's no surprises and we all know how it, how much it'll be. Um, and usually that includes, you know, for a trust-based estate plan, that's a revocable living trust, a power of attorney, a healthcare director, a pour over will, HIPAA authorizations, kids protection planning if necessary, um, various other ancillary documents that are necessary to become involved and um, inclusion of the deed to getting that transferred um, into your trust as well and getting that recorded um, that's also important and uh, and also you know so I could go on and on but it's <laughs> I don't want to bug you bore you with all that <laughs> like you need a whole website for all those links. he has one you do, do. <laughs> you do how can they get in touch with you? How can people get in touch with you if they need your resources? Oh, um, well, I have my website, which is www.alexislangerlaw.com, uh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I have um, a Instagram handle, which is at Langer Law. Um, and those are usually the best ways because you can find my phone number and uh, a way to contact me on both of those. And you're located, where are you located? Specifically in Torrance. But you can meet with clients forever. I meet clients really all over California because of, because of the vir- virtual ability. Um, and many times people opt for the virtual meeting. I usually have like a three-step process. I do what's called a family wealth planning session. It's the first meeting where we get clear on what's important to you. We review the assets, inventory the assets. Um, discuss the family dynamics and the desired outcomes, right, that everybody's wanting, meaning if it's a single person planning or, or uh, a couple planning together. 
and um, then we design the plan um, if we feel it's a good fit to work together. Um, there's going to be a second meeting, which is our signing meeting that is, you know, later on, uh, about a month later. And then actually following that, I actually have a third meeting, which is sort of a binder delivery meeting, but it's really an accountability meeting um, to see if, you know, assets have been retitled properly, um, if they say that they're going to do it with my guidance, whole process and system around that. Um, and that's really one of the big things. And if they're interested in doing a legacy interview, we can hold that as well, which is, you, you sort of touched on that. It's a, an interview um, where I can record um, someone speaking, the person who's doing the estate planning work. And um, it's an opportunity to discuss what their wishes are around, maybe it's their estate planning, maybe it's something else entirely, right? It could just be like, uh, wanting to share the, birth, the story of the birth of their children or how they met mm. their spouse or, you know, a story about their grandparents, whatever it may be that's sort of valuable to them so that they can pass on not just their tangible wealth, which is what kind of the focus of estate planning is always about, right, that we kind of have learned, like money and property and all that stuff, which is obviously important to do. But I like to focus also on passing on your human and tangible and spiritual assets, which I think is helpful to do in the form of just talking, right? And it can be really free flow, right? It's up to the person to decide what that subject might be. I can offer a few guided questions, but um, people kind of use that as a really open format. Really, really nice too when you think about it. You know, you, when you go through divorce and it's like division of assets, it's like, oh, I'm really only worth this. You know, you brought a lot more to the marriage in certain ways, and it's like, how come that isn't valued in any sort of way, and how come I'm not receiving any benefit from that? And equally, what you're talking about, Alexis, is that this process doesn't have to be totally turning the person into some type of dispensary of property, right? They are much more than that, and when they pass away, there should be a sharing, okay, so if property is an inevitable part of it, that's going to come right? If you really want to do it the humane way, this is about honoring the legacy of who they were as a human being. And that can happen, right? At a funeral, right? It's much more likely when it happens or at a shiva or something like that in our tradition, right? When you gather and share stories about that person and mourn them and grieve together, but formalizing it in a way, right? So that it can be really inscribed um, as through a legal process is really important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I, and I love that your approach is really coming from a place of compassion and you're so thoughtful and that's something important I think to look at right. when you're dealing with this, because these are, these are not a fun topic. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, <laughs> maybe, I know. Maybe you enjoy it, but I it's can't. not a, a fun topic to get into because you're thinking of, and in, in general, and you know, you have a whole, as a rabbi, I'm sure yeah. experience with death and, and, and that's maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Morbid. No, Correct. you're more accepting of it in a of not, death. Yeah, you just have a you have a way of yes. like you've worked funerals, you've been yeah, it's it's maybe not as hard of a conversation for you. I see what you're saying in terms of the yeah, I mean uh and, and like the acceptance of death. Well and what's really well and even just talking about it, right? Yeah. And and saying that it's not taboo or it's okay to talk about death and not be I'm afraid always like, of it. Not gonna you, like I, I have a hard time. Right. Or be afraid of it and talk about how it's okay to be afraid of it and all those things. And there's these wonderful community conversations, which feel like they've died out, but were called death over dinner. Maybe they died out because of the pandemic, but it, they were like deliberate opportunities for people to come together and talk about death and mortality. And you think about like how estate planning could go into that. That's a really important function of the whole conversation. It's, it's a wonderful conversation to have. Maybe yeah. we should do it through the Jewish I, Divorce Project. I actually just met a woman who she works in the Jewish space and she's a death doula. Right. Mm -hmm. That would be a good collaboration for you yeah. in a sense, right? Oh, we could. And, you know, what it's like, you talk about being alone and all that stuff and suffering and loneliness and being isolated and not having any contact with humanity. We could go down this deep, dark, scary spot, you know, spiral. I was joking a little bit about yeah. all that, I just want to say. But everyone took me seriously because that's my bag. <laughs> that always my... goes a little too far. You know me. I'm all about... But I love so about shadows awesome. and death. Yeah, <laughs> your flowers and unicorn, which is why this is great balance here. Um, and Alexis is here to bridge all of it. Alexis is like, let's get real. She's like, let's divide up the rainbow. 
Okay. Let's do equal because a death has rainbows. happened, friends. <laughs> you get rainbows and you get unicorns. <laughs> the best thing is to have your family law attorney work in connection with the estate planning. Yes. Because there are different issues, really, that the family law attorney who's handling the divorce is way more equipped at discussing the division specifically and how things are going to get, you know, uh, distributed ultimately during the divorce process specifically. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, after divorce, you can come to me and I can help with the, the planning work, <laughs> right? Um, to make sure that, you know, whatever is most important to you, your children and your things, right? Your money or your things and your property is left the way that you want it to be left ultimately. Someone could come up with an entire plan while they're married, what they think is set for estate planning, but then there's a divorce and the feelings towards each other change. And there's this like, I don't want him having all that. And I'm sure there's a time where people come and like revise oh, or yeah. want to change. That's or... a great opportunity. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's definitely recommended after yeah. divorce, especially if you've done or, like, it Like mental together. health comes up or I, there's so many reasons that someone might want to change, well, change their mind. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, you know, your dad suggested a number of things yeah. to do, which all were those, all really yeah. good. All those transfers, good yep. ideas. It sounds like it happened after the divorce, right? When everything yeah. was final and done. Yeah. So you know, it's you know, we haven't really talked about the subject very much, but it is really important to make sure that beneficiary designation type of assets, retirement accounts, pensions, um, it's all part of what you do. That's updated. That could be either with an attorney such as myself, or if, in, if you don't have an estate planning attorney yet, maybe you're still in the divorce process, or it's coming to an end, or it's just ended, wherever it is. First, maybe consult one of the lawyers that you're working with, <laughs> but just in case you're not doing anything improper. But generally speaking, I'm saying post-divorce, it is generally a good idea to consider updating or checking your beneficiary designations assets because what if your ex-spouse is the recipient of that or that beneficiary of that one account right mm -hmm. you just didn't discuss it during the divorce maybe it didn't come up because you, for whatever reason right Bring it up. yeah or it's not at issue for some reason so it was never thought through but you have this pension or you have this retirement account and your ex is named as the exec or as the beneficiary so it's something to to always sort of be mindful of post divorce and with respect to children, um, if you pass away and you have a kid with your ex-spouse, um, and I don't want to take up too much time on this, but making sure that um, you also have a trust or a will or some sort of estate plan in place to make sure that it's not your ex-spouse who can manage mm. kids, you know, your estate that will ultimately go to your child. That's a that's a guardianship discussion, but it's more relating to the estate will ultimately be left to that child. It's stressing me out, making me realize I did not do a lot of things I need to be doing. So thanks for the reminder. I just want to squeeze that one in there, if possible. You get a real double whammy with you, Alexis. Like it's not, it's really not rainbows and unicorns. It's really just kind of flat out like you're going to die and you need to divide up your shit. Let's be prepared. Or else it's, it's going to get ugly and then you're going to have an ugly death. No. Right. Well, it's important. Listen, I have surprisingly quite a few friends who are widows mm -hmm. around my age who've lost their husband in, within the last five years. And um, yeah, I mean, one of them is like was prepared in the sense of like made sure to get this all taken care of and was very grateful that they had all of that set up. And then I have another friend who was like nothing was taken care of. And, it, you know, it's really mm -hmm. important. Really important. Very much so. Alexis, yeah. so, I have, so I have a question. Um, if you could, like, imagine that we're a young couple, right? Whoever it is, imagine you're talking to a young couple, right? They're about to start their lives together, right? They're at worlds, you know, at their doorstep. Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? What's what's the really direct, but also like, you know, we have the expression "standing on one foot," saying it quickly, that sort of thing, or briefly distilled down to its easiest understandable notion like what do you say to them from your perspective if they're coming to me yeah. as an estate lawyer um it 
Well, first, congratulations <laughs> for wanting to get married or wanting to build Maybe your life together. Maybe come to you yet, right? You meet this young yeah. couple and it's like, wh- yeah, right? Yeah. What is your um, advice or ten, the 10 word answer? Right? A hard question. I know, but that's why we ask it. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess what's most important to you? You know, what, what are the goals? What is the five-year vision? What are the goals in, the, in your lives together? And that really opens the door for them to answer however they want, right? Um, if, if, if we're talking about, you know, maybe one of them will say, I'm really excited about having kids. Maybe one of them will say, well, uh, maybe one day we'll get a house and, and then we can build on that conversation, right? But um, let's talk about what's most important to you. Gotcha. That's good. That is good. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. Alexis, uh, I'm fresh out of questions. I mean, you've been wonderful. There's a lot of information. You've taken me from ignorant to a little bit more than ignorant now, but still pretty ignorant. But I appreciate it nonetheless. My anxiety is through the roof, too. So so I suppose that's good. I apologize. Um, But uh, thank you so much. Uh, You've shared a lot of wonderful wisdom with us, very practical stuff, too, that everyone should really... I'll take heed to so thank you very much. And I do want to say people should definitely look up her website because I know you do some like good webinars and like a lot of great stuff that you offer. Yeah. Uh, different courses and webinars and stuff like that yeah, too. All that information when I'm hosting a webinar or an event is usually on my website. So yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you and happy Hanukkah. Thank you. Happy, happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. If you're interested in becoming one of our sponsors or have okay. questions and thoughts about the podcast, Please email us at the Jewish Divorce Project at gmail.com. And you can always find us on social media at the Jewish Divorce Project on Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to work with me, I specialize in divorce coaching for women. I can be found at mydivorceconcierge.com and on Facebook and Instagram at mydivorceconcierge. And if you're interested in working with me for divorce coaching or spiritual coaching, I work with people of all kinds of all backgrounds as well. My email address is noamrauscher at gmail.com. That's N-O-A-M-R-A-U-C-H-E-R at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram at noamrauscher.